0: John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words we just read. Help us this morning to understand them better. We pray that you would work in our hearts Help us to see the heart and desires of Jesus this morning. And help us to apply these things to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, do you have someone in your life who you just love hearing them pray? Maybe a family member, a friend some godly person in your life that when they pray, you're just deeply moved. For me, it's my friend Chris. And at my previous job, we had company prayer in the mornings. And every time Chris was asked to pray, I was so encouraged and convicted about my own prayer life. Chris's prayers were saturated with the Bible. And the thing that was so unique about his prayers were that he always prayed a Trinitarian form of prayer. He would always pray, Father, thank you for being. Jesus, thank you for this. Spirit, thank you for that. I love to hear Chris pray. And if you have someone in your life, you know what I'm talking about. And yet, we have something so much better in this passage. We are able to hear, to listen to Jesus as he prays to the Father moments before he heads to the cross. John Knox, the great Scottish reformer of the 16th century, called John chapter 17 the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. Knox loved this chapter so much that on his deathbed, he asked that people would read it over and over and over again to him. John 17 is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible. And because of what Jesus prays and when he prays, right, right before his betrayal and crucifixion, it could be argued that this is the most important prayer of Jesus in the Bible, maybe even the most important prayer in the entirety of Scripture. And this prayer divides easily into three sections. In verses 1 to 5, we see Jesus prays for himself. He prays about his own glory. In verses 6 to 19, Jesus prays for his disciples, those whom the Father has given him. And in verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for you if you believe in him for those who will believe in him. Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for those who will believe in him. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this. Believers should join Jesus in praying for his glory, our holiness, and church unity. Believers should join Jesus in praying for his glory, our holiness, and church unity. All right, so let's look first at how Jesus prays for himself. John writes in verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus starts with prayer for himself as our great high priest. This prayer that Jesus prays here in John chapter 17 is often called the high priestly prayer because it was offered just before Jesus was going to make atonement for his people through his death on the cross. In the Old Testament, on the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place with the blood of the sacrifice, and he would enter into the presence of God on behalf of himself and the people. And now Jesus is going back into the presence of God and he's carrying his own blood into the most holy place. He's going away and in a way is going to sprinkle his blood before the throne in order to represent his people. And it says in verse 1, that he lifted his eyes to heaven. John Calvin says that he does this because he longs to be back with the Father. He lifted his eyes to heaven and then he prays for himself. He prays that he would be glorified, that the Father would glorify the Son. But what does that word glory really mean? It can mean weightiness or or heaviness. The glory of God refers to his beauty, his majesty, his awesomeness. To glorify God means to, to honor him, to celebrate him. If the Bears ever won the Super Bowl or even won a game, the city of Chicago would throw a big celebration for them. I remember when I lived in Boston in in 2005. They held this giant parade for the New England Patriots when they won the Super Bowl. I actually didn't plan on going to the parade and had no clue that the Patriots had won until I entered the subway train and saw everybody decked out in their Patriots gear. And so I ended up in the middle of this parade where they were celebrating. They were giving glory to a football team. The whole city made such a big deal about them winning. To glorify God simply means to make a big deal of him. And that is what Jesus is asking the Father to do for him, to glorify him, to make a big deal of him. Now, it would be wrong of us to accuse Jesus of being self centered because we understand what this glorification means. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. The hour of my death has come. In just a few hours, Jesus will be hanging on the cross. And so, why should the Father glorify the Son? because his hour has come. And in verse 2, he says that the Father had given authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to give eternal life to all that the Father had given him. And Jesus says that he has accomplished the work that the Father gave him to do. Why did Jesus come from eternity? Why did Jesus become a man? Why did Jesus empty himself? To bring eternal life to those the Father had given to him. This is one of the many places in John's gospel where Jesus refers to the doctrine of election, which teaches that God sovereignly chose certain people Unto salvation. There's this understanding in in covenant theology that in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit entered into a covenant with each other where the Father appointed the Son to do the work of redemption and appointed the Spirit to apply that work. We see this in in, in Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter one, verses four to five where he says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This has been God's plan from eternity past, a people given to the son that he might redeem them. Jesus would go to the cross to give his life. Jesus prays, Father, now the hour has come, and would you glorify me? Jesus said back in chapter 12 that talking about being lifted up on the cross, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What do you see when you look at the cross? Is it a picture of defeat? Of hopelessness? What we should see is that the cross reveals his glory. Jesus doesn't ask for glory instead of the cross. Jesus asks for his glory by means of the cross. The cross glorifies the Father because at the cross, God keeps his word. He says that sin leads to death, and it does. The cross glorifies Jesus because he saves his people from the penalty of their sin. Through his death, he gives eternal life to all who will believe in him. So look at how Jesus defines eternal life in verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is a new life, a life that has relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus says here that it's truly knowing God and truly knowing Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And then Jesus prays in verse five, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You remember how the Gospel of John starts? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word who was with God in the beginning before the world existed, and now Jesus is praying for the glory that he had before to be restored to him as he goes to the Father by way of the cross. Our greatest need in the church today is to look up and look away from ourselves and focus on the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all about the glory of Jesus. May we pray to the Lord and ask him to help us bring glory to Jesus. Jesus prays for himself, and then in verse 6, he prays for his disciples. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus prays specifically for the 11 disciples here. He says that he has manifested the Father's name to them. He has revealed the Father, who he is and what he's like. He had lived in such a way that those who saw him saw the Father And then he describes the disciples as those who have kept God's word. Those who have received and come to know in truth that Jesus came from God, that they believed. And that description may sound strange to some of us because most times we read in the gospels, the disciples are constantly not getting it and thinking of themselves but Jesus in his prayer to his father describes them as keeping his word, as knowing and believing. And if we think about it, in comparison to everyone else, they did. Their obedience was imperfect, but it was real. And who is with Jesus on the night he's about to be betrayed and go to the cross. These men. They stuck with him, except for Judas, who never truly believed, who betrays Jesus, as the scriptures foretold. But imagine how encouraging it must have been for the disciples to hear Jesus pray these words to the Father about them. Jesus says these things knowing that Peter will deny him three times. Jesus says these things knowing that all the disciples are going to flee and leave him alone. Jesus prays for these men whom he loved. He knows what's coming and he has told them that the world is going to hate them and that there would be a temptation to go back. And so Jesus prays three things for his disciples here, that God would keep them, that God would separate them, and that God would sanctify them. Look at verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. he is only praying for the disciples and not for the world. And he asked the Father to keep them in his name. He's leaving, and in a sense, he's no longer in the world. He's, he's going away, but they're staying. And so he prays, keep them in your name. Keep them loyal to you. Keep them in the love of God. Preserve them. And the only reason they don't fall away is because God the Father answers Jesus' prayer. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus says, speaking of his sheep, those who will believe in him, he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Only the power of the Father could sustain and preserve these men, especially with what was about to happen to them. The Father keeps us, and Jesus prays for this. And then in verse 13, he says, "'But now I am coming to you, "'and these things I speak in the world, "'that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves.'" Jesus says that he speaks these things in order that the disciples would be filled with joy. And so what he's saying here is that he wants to be overheard by the disciples. He wants them to know his deepest desires for them. Could you imagine how much this prayer would have comforted them, to hear how much they meant to Jesus? That the words, the last things Jesus said before he went to the cross was that God would protect them and preserve them and keep them. And then he prays for their separation from the world. Verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice Jesus says that the disciples are not of the world because he has given them the Father's word. Their thinking and their living was shaped by the word of God. They no longer agreed with the world's values. And so the world saw this and hated them. And instead of asking God to take them away from the hatred of the world, Jesus prays that that he would keep them in the world. Wouldn't it be easier to not have to live in this dark and fallen world? And yet Jesus wants them to stay in the world because he has a mission for them. He prays that they wouldn't be taken out of the world, but that the Father would protect them from the evil one. He's going to the cross to break the power of sin and defeat Satan, and yet they would still be tempted to lose sight of why they remained in the world. And that temptation still exists today. Because we can cave into the cultural pressures and embrace the world. And instead of looking and living like Christians, we can look just like the world. Or the opposite could be true we can isolate ourselves from the world and live in some sort of Christian bubble and never interact with anyone in the world and be ineffective in witnessing to Christ. So Jesus does not want us to embrace the world. Jesus does not want us to isolate from the world, but to have a separation from the world. In Romans 12, we're told to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. There has to be a distinction between us as Christians and the world. You either belong to Christ or you don't. And if you do, you will be hated. And so what causes this separation from the world? The word of God does. Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world as the truth of God's word is applied to their lives, they will be seen to stand out for God. Can you say that that is true about your life? If I'm not living a separated life, it means that I am not abiding in the word of God. The more we're in the word, the more we will realize the separation that does exist. Jesus prays for his disciples to be kept, to be separate from the world and sanctified. He prays in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. To be sanctified means to be set apart. Disciples are meant to be set apart. we were set apart from the world through the truth, through the word of Christ. And so if I'm going to grow in holiness, if I'm going to grow in Christlikeness, I need to be sanctified by the truth of God's word. I have never met anyone in my entire life who has said, I have not been in the Bible for many, many months, but I have never been so much like Christ. Never met anyone like that. God's word is a means of grace. The point of reading God's word is to see more and more of Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on him, and to look more like him. To grow in holiness, to be sanctified, we must be reading our Bibles if we are to grow in godliness and Christlikeness. And then Jesus says, For their sake, I consecrate myself or I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying there? By laying down his life, Jesus sanctifies them. He cleanses them from sin, he separates them from the world, and he sets them apart as his witnesses to the world. In his prayer, Jesus has prayed for himself, for his disciples, and then in verse 20, he prays for those who will believe in him. Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Notice there's two groups in that verse. These only, but also those. There are these, and there are those. These are the disciples. And the those are you, if you're a believer. Those who will believe in me through their word. The disciples will proclaim truth as they're sent out into the world. And now he turns from the 11 disciples and looks forward to the future towards those who will believe in him through the word of the disciples. And so think about this. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, prayed for you if you believe in him. Jesus had you in mind in this prayer. That's amazing. And so what does he pray for us? He prays for unity. He prays that they may all be one. We see that in verses 21 and 22 and 23. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus prays for the unity of the church. He says that they may All be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one as we are one. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the unity of the church, the unity of the Christian church is a unity that is a reflection of the unity in the Godhead. Jesus roots the unity of the believers in the relationship that he has with the Father. So, how do we become one just as the Father and the Son are one? How is that possible? By the new birth. By being born again. By becoming sons and daughters of God. Peter says in 2nd Peter that by the new birth we become partakers in the divine Nature. So when we believe in Christ, we become part of a new family. So all of us in the church, we, we belong to the same family. And that makes us one with each other. We belong to one another. We are united to one another. The Father in us and the Son in us. And so it is Christ who unites us. This unity that Jesus is talking about is totally dependent on God. And it's beautiful because even though we are different in nationality and in skin color and in age and in education and social backgrounds and so much more, we are one in Christ. Christ. And the result of that is that the differences only serve to highlight the beauty of the unity that we have in him. And our unity will grow deeper and deeper as we follow Jesus more closely. One of my favorite preachers, Eric Alexander, gives this great illustration of this. He says, if you have a shepherd in the middle of a field and the sheep are scattered all around And the shepherd stands in the middle of the field and he calls the sheep to come to him. The sheep cannot come nearer to the shepherd without coming nearer to each other. And so the nearer we come to Jesus, the deeper our unity will be. Now the unity that we're talking about here is the unity that comes from being sanctified in the truth. And so it's not a unity that is separated from truth. This unity is grounded in the apostolic message. This unity is grounded in the gospel. The son who was crucified for sinners, who made full atonement for his people, who satisfied God's wrath, that he had forgiven all the the sins of his people by his blood, and that we are saved by trusting in him alone for salvation. This is the central doctrine that unites all believers. And so what is Jesus' goal for this unity? Why does he pray for our unity in the church? So that lost people in the world Our unity is one of the greatest evangelistic tools. Like what Jesus says in the second half of verse 23, this unity exists in the church so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. How is the world brought to faith? Through the unity of believers, through our oneness in Christ. The loving fellowship of a church that is united demonstrates to the world that the gospel is true. But things like gossip and refusing to forgive others in Christ cause division in our churches. And will eventually lead you further and further, not only from the unity that we have with one another, but from God as well. And not only does God see our divisions, the watching world does as well. And so the Puritan Thomas Manton, who preached 47 sermons on John chapter 17, said this, Divisions in the church breed atheism. In the world. Divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. And while I agree with that statement, it is kind of a downer. But the opposite is true. Unity in the church demonstrates to the world that the gospel is true. And so the oneness of God's people gives credibility to the gospel. Jesus says here, so that the world would not only know that the Father really did send Jesus, but also that God loves his people just as he loved Jesus. Think about that for a second. God loves us just as much as he loved Jesus. Then Jesus says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. What a way to end a prayer. Jesus has said that he's going to prepare a place for his disciples and that he would return and bring them with him. And now he says here in this prayer that is his desire for his people to be with him where he is so that they can enjoy the glory that the father gave the son before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays for us that one day we would see him in the full splendor of his glory. And he promises that he will continue to make the Father's name known so that believers are brought into a richer and deeper knowledge of God and brought into a richer and deeper experience of God's love. What a beautiful prayer. Jesus knows what we need most. These are the things that Jesus prays for so that in the end we may see his glory. He prays for our holiness. He prays for our unity. and He prays that we may see his glory. And the, the Father uses the word to be able to bring about these things. The Father uses his word to keep us He uses his word to sanctify us. He uses his word to make us united and to make us see the glory of Jesus. And so my question to you this morning is, are you in the word often and allowing it to work in your lives? Are you seeing God the Father keeping you? Sanctifying you, growing you in Christ-likeness through the word, and are you contributing to the unity of the church? As we reflect on this prayer, as we see the heart and desires of Jesus, we should pray just like him. We should pray, Lord, I want to see Jesus in his glory. I want to be someone who, who glorifies Jesus in my life. We should be praying, Lord, please protect me. Don't take me out of this world, but keep me safe. Keep me focused on the gospel. Sanctify me through your word and unify your church that we might be one. Believers should join Jesus in praying for his glory, our holiness, and church unity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that you would glorify your name. And we ask that you would keep us and preserve us. Keep us in your love. Keep us from sin. Keep us from the world, the flesh, and the evil one. Separate us from the world and sanctify us by the truth and unify your people so that some in the world would come to believe in Jesus. Would you do these things in us and through us for your glory and our joy? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.